turn in your Bibles with me to the book of, book of Hebrews. Uh, you may go ahead and have a seat. Um, we're going to continue in our study of, of reasons why Christ died on the cross. And, and tonight we're going to talk about Him dying on the cross to bring the Old Testament priesthood to an end and become the eternal high priest. So, as you turn in your Bibles, I'd like to take a few minutes to talk about the office of priest. The definition of a priest is one authorized to perform the sacred rites of a religion, a mediator between God and man. So think about the, the Old Testament system, how everything worked together in the Old Testament, and how, how, it, how it worked and how it was insufficient. That's kind of what we're going to talk about tonight, how it was, how it was imperfect, it was insufficient, it, it didn't work. So the priests, they, they were responsible to teach the people, serve as judges to resolve controversy, offer sacrifice, assess impurity, burn incense, bless people, bless God, keep the tabernacle, take care of the altar and, and take care of the lamps and the showbread, prepare the holy things for each day's journey, continue the, the, the sacred fire and blow the trumpet. That's a, that's a long list of a job. That's a big job of a priest. But then you get to, to the more severity of the job. They served as the mediators between God and the, and the people. They were the ones who took the people's sacrifices and offered them up to God. The high priest in particular represented the whole nation of Israel before God. So when a priest sinned, he not only brought guilt upon himself, but he brought guilt upon the whole nation of Israel. And they were uh, to, to inquire of God for the nation. So the high priest had to offer a sin offering not only for the sins of the whole congregation, but also for the sins of himself. But the most important duty of the high priest was to conduct the service on the Day of Atonement, the tenth day of the seventh month of every year, only he was allowed to enter into the most holy place behind the veil and stand before God. He made a sacrifice for himself and for the people and brought the blood to the Holy of Holies and sprinkled it on the mercy seat. And he did this to make atonement for himself and for the people they committed during that year. So the reason I took the time to explain the duties of a priest and what a high priest did is because if we get a better understanding of what a high priest done, we get a better understanding of what Christ came to do, what He came to fulfill, what He came to, to, to conquer. So we, we see that the significance in Christ offering Himself for our sins once for all, as we'll see in our text. Christ has secured for us an eternal redemption. For there is one God and there is one mediator between God and man, the man Christ Jesus. That's why it is so important for us to understand why Jesus came and died on the cross. That's why we talk about this over and over and over again because we get the significance of what He done on our behalf. Note this. And during my studies, and I talked with Paul briefly about this. We didn't, we didn't go into deep discussion this week, but this, this is really big to me. It was pure mercy that God accepted the ministry of sinful priests and a substitute animal for atonement for sin. 
It was pure mercy that God accepted the ministry of sinful priests and substitute animals for the atonement of sin. So now if we can direct our attention to Hebrews chapter 7. We're going to read verses 23 through 27. Let's read. The former priests were many in number because they were prevented by death from continuing in office. But he, being Christ, holds his priesthood permanently because he continues forever. Consequently, he is able to save to the uttermost those who draw near to God through him since he always lives to make intercession for them. For it was indeed fitting that we should have such a high priest, holy, innocent, unstained, separated from sinners, and exalted above the heavens. He has no need like those high priests to offer sacrifices daily, first for his own sins and then for those of the people, since he did this once for all when he offered up himself. Let's pray. God, I thank you for your word. It is a lamp into our feet and a light into our path. God, I thank you for the authority of Scripture. I thank you uh, that, that you, have, you have given us your word. I pray that we as a church, will, we won't back down because we can't back down from your word. Give us strength. God, I thank you for Jesus and his, his office as high priest and how significant of a role it is that because of the Old Testament priesthood not being sufficient enough to make sacrifices to atone for sin, you were willing to send your son Jesus. God, we transgress, we, we, we break your laws, and you never once gave up and, and let us go. Jesus is still there on the throne. He's interceding for us, and God, thank you. Expose our hearts to, to sin and, and your righteousness. And God, forgive me where I failed you. I love you so much, and it's in Jesus' name that I pray. Amen. There were many common priests at a time. There were, there were many in number. Um, I, I read an article that had said that there were more than 300 priests. I can't confirm that, but there were a lot of priests in the time leading up to Jesus. So this shows the imperfection of this priesthood. Since it was in many hands, no one continuing and being sufficient enough to execute the job of priest. But Christ came and became the only high priest. There's no other. There is no need of any other. The reason that there were so many under the law was because they were prevented by death from continuing in office. We all know death has a power to take away a long continuance for anybody. We, we can't beat death. We can't conquer it. And no man does continue long here because death puts a stop to our work, puts a stop to our ministry, our callings. No office, even the sacred office of high priest, can surpass this. We are all going to die. So they, they were many in number because they were prevented by death from continuing in office. So this shows another imperfection of their priesthood because they won't continue on. When they die, someone else has to step in and then they'll die. Somebody else steps in. So it's, just, it's not going to be perfect because it has to keep going down to someone else. Verse 24 says, but he holds his priesthood permanently. 
Though Christ died, death did not keep him from continuing. That's the gospel. Though he died, death did not keep him from continuing as it, as it did the other men. He was not forced to die. He died voluntarily. He continued, but for a small time under the, the power of death. But just remember, the death that Christ underwent was a branch of his priestly ministry. It was part of his job. So he holds his priesthood permanently because he continues forever. He will never be outdated. He's never too old. Never give place to another. His priesthood will never pass from him to any other. Because that would be needless. Christ lives forever and no other mere men is sufficient for his office as high priest. Nobody else can fulfill the office of high priest because Christ did it perfectly. He did it the best you could possibly do. It would be injustice to pass it on to another. And the glory of the office of high priest is due to Christ. He should get all the glory for the office of high priest. His priesthood always continues. Verse 25. Consequently, he is able to save to the uttermost. He is able to save to the uttermost. This, this brings joy. This, this brings a lot of joy because, because he continues forever and has an unchangeable priesthood, this is, this is our salvation. This is what we put our hope in because he died, but yet he continues forever. It's the gospel. Christ was called to this work by his Father. He was promised by him to do this work and was sent by him to effect it, to effect it and through him has accomplished this work of priesthood. When we represent the gospel, it usually represents itself like this. There's a law to be fulfilled, justice to be satisfied, sin to be removed, atoned for, uh, enemies to, to be engaged with, and a cursed death to undergo. The, the penalty for sin to undergo. This is a work that, that no creature or, or angels or men can do. We, we, we are not able to undertake and perform this task. The priest under the law could not do it. Men cannot save themselves, and, and, and nor can any creature work salvation for them. The, the beast that they sacrifice, it's not going to work out your salvation for you. But Christ is able, with the help of the Father who knew Him to be mighty to save since He is a mighty God and is able to save to the uttermost, uttermost meaning to the utmost perfection. So not just He can save all the people He wants to, it's to the fact that He can save you perfectly. There's no other way to get this perfect salvation. This is the perfect way that God designed this salvation was through Christ and His priesthood. Praise God. Praise God for His Ministry of, of priest. Who is able to save to the uttermost those who draw near to God through him. From the beginning, man had access to God in his state of innocence. But sinning was not admitted. God can have no dealings with sin. So there is no approaching him without a middle person, a, a mediator. Christ is that mediator. Who having made peace, atoned for sin, satisfied justice, 
and brought in an everlasting righteousness. The act of, of Him on the cross reintroduces His people to God. It allows us to, to be reintroduced to God so that we can draw near to Him. But let me ask you something. Is something holding you back? Is something holding you back from, from drawing near to God? Holy, sovereign, gracious, merciful Lord. What is keeping you from Him? What is keeping you from Him? It may be hobbies or, or passions, whatever you're, you're interested in. It, what is holding you back from drawing near to God? Continuing on in verse 25, it says, Since He always lives to make intercession for them. Christ forever lives as God. He is the living God. And though He died as man, He is risen from the dead and will not die again, but live forever. He lives as mediator and redeemer, and particularly as a priest, one of whose branches to intercede for His people. This is what He does now in heaven, not just by vocal prayer or supplication, at least not as, as He did in the days of His flesh, or as if He was supplicating an angry judge, but by the appearance of Himself for us, by the presentation of His sacrifice and His blood, the ransom He paid for our sin, that's how He can stand before God, and we are redeemed. He removed the charges and accusations that were held against us. He intercedes not for all of the world, but for all the elect, even though we're transgressors. He is very fit for this work, as we'll see in, in the verse to come. He is the one and only mediator. He is the perfect intercessor. He always succeeds, and He does this work readily, willingly, cheerfully, and freely, without any deceit found in His mouth. This provides Him to be able to save. Had He died and not lived again, He could not save to the uttermost, the the. the utmost perfection. His life is the security for our salvation. He lives for us as, as our representative making intercession for us. It was indeed fitting that we should have such a high priest who is holy. He's holy by nature. Originally and unusually perfect and complete. Internally perfect. He was typified by the high priest and far, and far exceeds any priest in holiness. If he had not been holy and perfect, he couldn't enter into the holy place for us or have appeared there on our account or have been our sanctification. He was free from all sin, voluntary and involuntary. He was innocent, without any depravity in his nature, with no deceit in his mouth or, or malice in his heart, doing no injury to man's personal property, or his character chiefly displayed the innocence and holiness of his life in which he exceeded the priest under the law. So what, what the priest could not do under the law, Christ did absolutely perfect so that he could save to the utmost perfection. He's a suitable priest for us. He was fit to be made sin and to take that sin away. This makes me recall Isaiah 53, verse 7. He was oppressed and he was afflicted, yet he opened not his mouth. 
like a lamb that is led to the slaughter, and like a sheep that is before its shears is silent, so he opened not his mouth. Being led to the slaughter like a sheep, that's, that's a big analogy. As you know, a sheep cannot say anything. It can't do anything in its own defense. So like a sheep led to the slaughter, like he was defenseless, he opened not his mouth. There was no deceit found in his mouth. He was innocent. He was holy. He was unstained. With the sin of Adam with which all mankind are defiled, with the blood of slain beasts with which the priests under the law were sprinkled, he was more excellent than all of these things. He was, he was better than the priest under the law since his blood was the blood of a lamb. The priest couldn't offer that. It was without spot and blemish. And the high priest under the law, according to the Jews, were to excel the brothers in knowledge, beauty, and riches. But the distinguishing character of our high priest is purity and holiness. Innocence. Unstained. Which this again is far beyond all other high priests. All other high priests cannot attain this beauty. He was separated from sinners. Christ took on the likeness of sinners, though not sinful, and he was often in the company of sinners when on earth and was reckoned among them and as one of them, but he was separated from them. He was willing to hang out with the sinners, but somehow was able to abstain from sin. He, he didn't do it. He was brought into the world in a different manner from them, not descending from Adam by ordinary generation. He had no communion with them in sin. He didn't encourage them to sin. He didn't think sin was cool like we do. He's disgusted by this sin. He exceeds the priests under the law and is a suitable substitute for us and is a suitable priest because of his holiness, his innocence, his cleanliness, his separation from sinners. And he's exalted above the heavens. This may be understood in one of two ways, uh, either of Christ's exaltation in heaven where angels are subject to him and, and his priesthood is completed, or of his excelling the angels and the holiness of his nature, which is more in line with what this text is going with, because he's, he's innocent, he's, he's uh, unstained, he's holy. So he's excelling the angels and holiness of his nature, which also stands opposed to the priests in, in the Old Testament. The priests, they, 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 they couldn't do this. They just simply couldn't amount up to this, this kind of perfection. Verse 27. He has no need like those high priests to offer sacrifices daily, first for his own sins and then for those of the people. Or as they did on the Day of Atonement. Leviticus 6, uh, 16, verse 6. Um, on the Day of Atonement, Aaron shall offer the bull as a sin offering for himself and shall make atonement for himself and his house. Then, verse 7, he shall take the two goats and set them before the Lord at the entrance of the tent of meeting, which shows another rather large imperfection and in, in insufficiency of their priesthood and sacrifices. 
Christ didn't need to offer for his own sin. Nor could he because he had no sin. What he had was by imputation. He only needed to offer. He, he only, and he only did offer for his sins or for the sins of the people. He didn't need to do this daily as they did. They offered sacrifices daily. Common priest every day, morning and evening. It was constantly a sacrifice being made. And the high priest on a stated day once a year on the Day of Atonement. He didn't need to do all this. Since he did this once for all when he offered up himself. And this he also differed from the priests, obviously, because they did not offer themselves, but they offered what was inferior to themselves. And, and what could not take away sin and therefore was repeated over and over and over again. Christ offered Himself, His whole human nature, soul and body, in our room and in our stead. He was acceptable and pleasing to God. And justice was satisfied. The, the law fulfilled. Sin taken away and complete salvation obtained. There's never so, so with that completion of salvation, there is never any need of another atoning sacrifice. There will, never, there will never be another sacrifice. And that shows the perfection and fullness of His priesthood. As I was preparing for this, I found what I think is one of the greatest uh, phrases of all of Scripture. Once for all. The Greek word is epipax meaning once for all time. So when we read this, and, and, and this word uh, implies, this phrase implies a lot, it, it means something um, happened that was decisive. It, it never needs to be, it never, it never needs to happen again. The act accomplished so much that it never needs to be repeated. So when you read this text and it says, since he did this once for all, it's not saying he did this once for everybody in the whole entire world. It says he did this once for all time. That is it. The sacrifice needs to never happen again because his sacrifice was so great and so perfect that it takes care of all the other ones. It needs to not happen again. So there are some things that the great high priest, Jesus, fulfills so much better and makes way more complete than the Old Testament priest did. And, I, and I'm going to give you a couple examples. Examples of that. The priests were sinful where Jesus was a sinless priest. They were limited by death. And Jesus was and will be forever. They made daily sacrifices. Jesus sacrificed once for all time. They made animal sacrifices. Jesus sacrificed himself. They made ongoing sacrifices. Jesus made sacrifices no longer needed. They made one-year atonement. Jesus gave eternal propitiation. With the Old Testament system, it was never on a once-for-all basis. It wasn't good enough to rid us of sin and make us pure and acceptable and pleasing before God. God provided the ultimate, one-time-only, all-encompassing, eternal sacrifice for sins in His only begotten Son, Jesus at Calvary. The sacrifice cannot be duplicated and no other sacrifice will atone for sin and in fact never could. Acts 4.12 says, 
Salvation is found in no one else, for there is no other name under heaven given to men by which we must be saved. Blood is required to atone for sin, but the blood of animals just wasn't good enough. Hebrews 10.4 says it is impossible for the blood of bulls and goats to take away sins. It took the physical death of the one and only Son of God to pay the penalty for the sin and provide a way to be reconciled back to the Father. Colossians 1.22 says, Now He has reconciled you by Christ's physical body through the death to present you holy in His sight without blemish and free from accusation. There is one way. There is no other way. The gift of atonement is in place through Jesus for the forgiveness of sins. There's more to the story. Man sinned and is desperately wicked and sinful by nature. We cannot save ourselves. We can't justify ourselves before God. In the Old Testament, God forgave sins based on sacrifice of animals by a high priest in the tabernacle and granted forgiveness to those who sinned based on that sacrifice. This was a foreshadowing of, of a better hope, a, a better promise, and a better covenant to come in Jesus. And so when Jesus came, He was, he was uh, crucified. He became a high priest and sacrificed all at one time. And He took that before the Father who accepted it for all eternity. The veil was ripped in two from top to bottom, meaning God tore it in that moment, providing a way into the Holy of Holies through Jesus, the high priest, and sacrifice. The Holy Spirit then convicts men of their sin and opens our blind eyes to our condition before God. And so if a person then repents and believes on the Lord Jesus, the Holy Spirit will indwell in that person. That's the gospel. God's perfect plan was to redeem us through His Son, the great high priest, Jesus, when we were incapable of redeeming ourselves. He then convicts our hearts through the Holy Spirit and opens our blind eyes so that we can understand and see our need for a Savior and the sacrifice that Jesus made on the cross. That's His atoning and forgiving work. That's, that's the point of Jesus coming and being a great high priest. So in closing, that is who Jesus is. He became the final priest and, and the final sacrifice. He was sinless. He did not offer sacrifices for himself. He was immortal. He has, never, he has to never be replaced. Human. He, he, because he was human, he could bear the sins of other humans. So he didn't offer sacrifices for himself. He offered the final sacrifice. There will be no need for another. There is one mediator between us and God, one priest. We need no other. Draw near to God in Christ through Christ alone. So if you don't get anything else, take the main point in the overarching theme of this text at the end of chapter 7. It is this. We have a great high priest. His name is Jesus. Came into the world as a son of God, lived a sinless life, offered himself as a perfect sacrifice for sins for his people, rose to everlasting life. He's at the right hand of the majesty of God and there loves and prays for us and, and bids us to draw near to God through him. He did not come to fit into the old priestly sacrificial system, but he came to fulfill them 
and in them. Christ is the reality. They were the shadow, the copy of the reality. When the reality comes, the shadow passes away. It's gone. Let's pray.